Okay, uh, so what we have is a difference between uh, Jane's approach, uh, not Jane's, uh, what's her name, Harriet's kind of discomfort after meeting the Martins, right, and Jane's kind of dis uh, discomfort after the proposal of, uh, what's his name, uh, Elton, right, and her turning him down, right, so two people turn him turn men down and the idea of discomfort and how do you deal with this discomfort right and what happens with the martins is they're trying to talk to harriet right which itself is uncomfortable right and uh, in the meantime elton has this kind of interlude is there in the novel where elton is marrying this woman called what's her name uh, do you remember the name Nobody remembers the name? No? Hayworth, right? Hayworth, if I'm not wrong, right? Yeah, so I think that's the name of the woman, right? Yeah, and that is uh, a kind of a distraction for, for them, right? Yeah, so that becomes the talk of the town, right? And uh, that becomes Hawk, Hawkins, right? Miss Hawkins, right? So it's uh, Augusta Hawkins, right? So uh, the, the idea of Augusta Hawkins and the idea that who is she, etc., etc., right? And she's from Bath, right? Uh, so that's one of the preoccupations, especially because it's a small town, right? But what is even more important is that when we have uh, this idea of her uh, Elton coming back, right? Yeah. So that's one of the ways of shifting away from the Martins, right? Yeah, and talking about Elton, right? And trying to uh, manipulate the conversation, right? So here you have uh, Emma actually trying to manipulate conversation and that's important, right? For the novel to continue at one level and also to show that Emma is still quite a domineering person, right? She's actually trying to control people's lives, right? And that is not comfortable at all, right? Yeah, and you get this kind of a condition which goes on for quite a little bit of time because now she says that the only way out, where as far as the Martins are concerned, is to go and meet the Martins and return Elizabeth's call, right? Yeah, so we have uh, that happening, right? And she says that she won't let uh, she won't let Harriet spend much time at the house of the Martins, right? Because she's going to ferry her in and out, and she's going to go up and down, right? So that's another bit that we have. And uh, in the meantime, we also have this man called Frank Churchill who comes back, right? And he talks about coming back home, right? And Mr. Weston, uh, who is his father, is very happy that he calls it home, etc. Right? Now, the part of the problem over there is uh, Mrs. Taylor now is Mrs. Weston. And the interesting thing is Frank Churchill calls her the mother-in-law, right? So we begin to wonder, was there an actual kind of uh, word, okay, for the idea of the stepmother, right? Yeah. So perhaps uh, that was not quite certain, right? Yeah. And this idea of a stepmother is called mother-in-law, and she's not the mother-in-law at all, right? Yeah. So that's something that is interesting. Yeah. And of course, we must remember that uh, things have kept changing, right? Like for instance, you talk about somebody as step brother, right, or a stepsister, right, and I was talking to a niece of mine, and she asked me, how are these people related to you, and I said, well, this is my grand, uh, my grandmother's stepbrother's uh, son, right, so she said, well, not stepbrother, you just say half-brother, right, yeah, so that's something new, and I checked it up, of course, and I was wrong there, right, because things have changed, right? Uh, noting to the uh, noting the fact that we have a lot of divorces around the world, 
and especially in the United States, right? Yeah, so you have half brothers, right? Yeah, that is, if one parent is common, then it's a half brother and a half sister, right? So uh, that's that was a great update for me, right? And what is interesting over here at this this point of time, you call uh, uh, the what's her name, Mrs. Taylor is who's now Mrs. Weston is called the mother-in-law, right? Yeah, and of course, what looks uh, kind of very interesting uh, bit is that. Uh, Frank Churchill finds a, a young person, right? And she's not quite young, but he refers to her as young, right? And she's probably a little older than uh, Emma, right? Yeah. And she, of course, there is a paragraph which is actually very important, right? Uh, which is actually saying who is responsible. Yeah. And uh, you have this person called Frank Churchill actually complimenting and thanking Jane for making uh, Miss Taylor as wonderful as she is, right? Now the question is, who has made whom, right? And that's what is very interesting, yeah? Because it's actually, perhaps, the, it's not perhaps, it's actually that way, uh, which the novelist is actually telling us about, right? It's Mrs. Weston, right, who has made Jane the way she is, right? So. The idea of a value system and all comes from this woman called Mrs. Weston, who is today Mrs. Weston, but once upon a time was Miss Taylor, right? Yeah, so that's important because we are talking about, she's not the mother, right? She's not the biological mother, but she's definitely some kind of cultural parent, right? Or cultural mother, if you like, right? Who actually gets these ideas into the head of Jane, right? And uh, she is now nowhere on the scene, or she is the wife of Mrs. Mr. Winston, uh, Weston, right? Mr. Weston, right? And so that's something else that you find very interesting, right? That she is distanced over here, right? Is she responsible for who uh, making Jane the way she is? Perhaps yes, right? And that's interesting because as human beings, we all get influenced by somebody or the other, right? It's not that we are some tough creatures who don't get influenced, right? And very often, we don't even realize that we're getting influenced, right? So, of course, the solution uh, that's proposed by this uh, person called J. Krishnamurti is be aware of the fact that you are being influenced, right? And that's how you get out of it, right? Yeah, but that's too easy, right? Unless a person has read Krishnamurti, which is not possible at all, right? Would they be aware that they're being influenced, right? Yeah, and how many of us are aware that we are being influenced, right? Because we get influenced by our parents, we get influenced by people who are around with us for a long time, right? Or we are in close proximity too, right? And some, sometimes the influences are very uh, direct and very seeable, right? Yeah, because uh, many people want to have uh, a father figure, a mother figure, right? A role model. All those kinds of ideas are there, right? Yeah. And what is interesting about the novel and the narrative is uh, it is showing Jane as such a powerful kind of character, right? At one level. And also showing that she is a very complex person who is also very manipulative, right? And though she is a very young person, right? Yeah, and I think I mentioned last time when we talk about Lord of the Flies, you have the idea that in Lord of the Flies, uh, you don't even think for, I don't even think for a moment, we actually uh, look at the boys as just being about 10 years old or under, right? Yeah. We look at the boys and we think of the boys as that's, a, I would think, is a normal kind of reaction, right? It's only when reflecting upon them, you begin to see, well, these are only under 10, right? And they're, they're not even, uh, they're not even teenagers, right? Yeah. And what's sad about it is uh, that uh, they're so uh, capable of so much violence, right? And even over here, uh, of course, you can't say that these people are young 
in the, the traditional sense of the term because they're definitely over 18, but they're still young people, right? Yeah, they're in their 20s, right? And they're not this kind of mature people who have lived in society, right? So that is something that I think all of us would agree with, right? And at the same time, the idea of the, the influences on Jane's character and what happens to them is important, right? Yeah, and you have this scene where Frank and Emma are talking to each other, right? In the presence of Mr. Woodhouse and the presence of Mr. Weston, right? And as far as Mr. Weston is concerned, unless uh, he wouldn't be bothered about two people talking to each other, right? Uh, and uh, whether they're going to get married or not, that is not anything for him. And the way she puts it is very nice because she says he wouldn't uh, believe that people were going to get married unless uh, they had proof for it, right? Yeah, yeah, they showed the proof for it, right? And uh, that's uh, why he doesn't even take the fact that Jane and Frank seem to be getting close together, right? Yeah, and of course there is a twist over there when the uh, when Frank comes in because he wants to go and meet uh, uh, Jane Fairfax, right? Yeah, and he asks his father, and his father says, "Well, yes, uh, we'll pass by the house, and we've already passed by the house, and I." I can uh, take you there, etc., etc., right? And what is interesting and very important is he tries to say that, look, uh, yeah, you might have known her, but uh, it might be inappropriate if everybody sees you going to the house, right? Yeah? So, though you might have known her in uh, uh, Wayward, right? Wayward? Yeah, I think that's the place. Yeah? Uh, uh, you might. Everybody might find it very strange that you're going to their house, right? Yeah, so that's one. And then, uh, of course, you have the whole discourse of Augusta Hayworth, right? And how she's an ordinary person and her, her father's a merchant, but the only connection is that her brother-in-law is a big shot, right? And that's how she... Uh, this man, Elton, is, uh, got married. And there is a description of Elton, right? Yeah, and talking about his peak and the way he goes about uh, with so much of confidence, even his dress, his manner of going about everything is as if he's done a great thing by uh, getting engaged to uh, Augusta uh, Hawkins, right? Yeah, and that's, uh, that's, again, something very important to look at. How men behave with all this, right? And this idea of all the proposals that he had made, all the gestures he had made, or is implied that he had made, are all erased without any problem, right? So you get here, you get Harriet. So if you compare Harriet with this uh, Elton, right? Harriet is actually getting in love with everybody who she meets, right? She's already fallen in love with Martin. Right? When uh, Emma uh, stirs up her sentiments for Elton, you find that she's almost getting emotionally attached to Elton. And then she's got to face both these things. One is she turns it down because of Harriet's kind of uh, framework about who's high and who's low. Right? Yeah? Or who's uh, the right kind of match and who's the wrong kind of match. Right? So that's one of the things that happens. The second thing that happens is uh, you have uh, the idea of, uh, yeah, so uh, so she has to suffer Elton uh, not being interested in her and now Elton is definitely getting married. She's also to suffer the fact that she's in the same town and the Martins have contacted her and she has to deal with that, right? Yeah, so <laughs> what happens is with very confident people and that's something interesting and I think uh, as far as the insight into people is concerned the novel is, is fantastic right yeah you get all these people who are very confident right and they push you to do something and then if things get messed up right uh, they withdraw right and you have to face the music and you have to 
go on by your own st uh, steam, right? So that's why many of us might be uh, somewhat cautious about these very overconfident people, right? Who think that everything is simple, right? And they know exactly where the game lies and where everything lies, right? Yeah. And the other people are more cautious and they're a little afraid of these very, very confident people, right? Yeah, uh, at least I'm definitely so, right? And overconfident people are always a little, uh, I mean, I don't have a problem with them unless they push me into something which I am uncomfortable with, right? And then, uh, yeah, I've actually met people like that, okay? And not, not about me, but other people have pushed people into something and then they've withdrawn and we find that that's exactly what Jane has done to have it, right? And she calls her a friend and maybe she has affection for her or not, I don't know. But that seems to be the case, right? But then she's also perhaps unconsciously playing a game of manipulating her, right? Yeah, and of course we also have this idea of money and status, right? So Jane is very conscious, uh, Emma is very conscious about her own money, right? Yeah, and then uh, when it comes to the idea of uh, 10,000 pounds, right? That's the price, okay? Which is a bad way of talking about it, right? But that's the price uh, of money that's uh, going to come along with this woman called uh, Augusta Hawkins, right? Yeah. So it's it's almost like saying doubt, right? Yeah. Because uh, the idea of how do you fix the value of a woman, right? And that's not at all comfortable in the novel, right? At least from our point of view, from a 20th century point of view, that doesn't become very comfortable at all. But that's kind of social uh, representation which is important to look at okay today in england this would be just impossible right yeah at, at least among the middle classes right yeah and maybe it's uh, it's above uh, with the very very high uh, kind of uh, very high classes right that something of this sort might be happening right because today the world has changed women have changed right men have also changed right yeah and uh, that kind of change, you don't have all these kind of matched marriages in the first place, right? Yeah, and of course you have uh, this uh, kind of, it's as if, and, and there's a very, very strong suggestion, I'm saying suggestion by, uh, so you can read it, when you read it, you think of whether my words are right or wrong, uh, that's something that you have to judge for yourself, right? Because it looks like Frank Churchill and uh, uh, Emma, are what you call meeting and they're actually falling in love with each other, right? That's the first impression that you get, right? Yeah? And of course, uh, Emma is also conscious that he's going off to see Jane Fairfax, right? And you know what the condition of Mr. Mrs. Bates and Miss Bates are, that they're not very well off, right? And uh, this person has been looked after by what are the names? A colonel? I've forgotten what the name is. Do you remember the people who look after Jane? Not Churchill. Churchill is a, are the people who look after uh, uh, this guy. But what is the name of these people? I've forgotten the name. Yeah, I'll, I'll get it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, nobody can help me. That's sad. Right? Not Randall. Colonel, Colonel. What is the name of the man? Colonel. I've forgotten his name. Was he important? Mrs. Campbell, right? Yeah. So Colonel Campbell and Mrs. Campbell. So that's where Jane Fairfax is, right? And uh, what is Emma's problem? That she's more cultured and she's more good looking, right? Now, here there's a big discussion between Frank Churchill and, uh, and Emma, right? About the looks of Jane Fairfax. And he says that she's not very good. Uh, 
in health, right? And you find that she's sickly. And Emma defers and she says, no, that kind of complexion nobody has, right, etc. So uh, the idea of good looks of a woman, right, the idea of the manners of the woman, the idea of how much property a woman has, the idea of the status of the family, right? So these are four criteria which are very important, right? Yeah, so your, uh, the culture, the, the property, uh, who is your father, father, patriarchal, absolutely, right? Yeah, and who, which kind of family lineage you come from, right? And the other uh, thing that we have is uh, uh, the merits that you've acquired and what are you going to do and all those kind of things, right? Yeah, so this is something that is, at least by now, uh, put out quite openly, right? And the word merit keeps appearing again and again, right? And we know very well that we don't have any merit anyway, right? Yeah, no, at least uh, that's what we think today, right? Because uh, when we talk about reservation, right? Uh, I remember this in our own department where one of the people uh, uh, in a, a meeting said, well, we'll be admitting people for the NA only purely by merit, right? Yeah, and uh, the idea is, I said, well, but there's a reservation policy. You have to admit people who are uh, belonging to the reserve category, right? You can't uh, say that I'm not going to admit them, right? And that's just totally illegal, right? So what is interesting is, uh, uh, so, so my confrontation, my way of tackling that uh, person was not even good enough, right? Because somebody tackled him much better, right? He said, ah, oh, we're going to admit people only by pure merit? Yeah. yeah, and he said, yes, pure merit, right? Yeah, so he didn't even get the tone, he didn't even get the sarcasm because there is no pure merit, right? And I think that's something important for us to think about, right? Especially when we think about uh, a merit list, right? So I don't know if you've seen this movie, Arakshan, right? Uh, which is talking about reservation, right? And you have the idea of pure merit. Is there anything called pure merit, right? Yeah, if people get in, if all of us are here in the university, it's not because we've got pure merit, right? It's because of the families we come from, the background we come from, okay? The kind of uh, space we have, the kind of uh, attitude to studies, not we have, but our family have, right? Yeah, that's why we are here, right? And if we do anything at all, and uh, many people actually think that they have come in by merit, right? Yeah, they, they don't know what it is. Like for instance, I have a student who uh, belongs to the reserve category and he comes from a family where the father and mother are working class people, right? Yeah, and he was telling me that 10 of them used to stay in a house, right? And I used to have a problem with him, right? Because I found that he was not studying enough, right? And then it's only one of my friends who uh, 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 was able to, to point out to me, and I think I had to be educated over there, right? And he says, look, when you talk about uh, all these people from these kinds of families, right? Are you talking about sitting alone and studying, right? How can you compare yourself with them, right? You've had a different kind of life, right? The idea of sitting alone itself is something unnatural, right? Because they actually live together in a group of people. Uh, as a group of people, right? They don't have this kind of privacy at all to sit down and study, right? So don't even expect all that, right? And if you, if you want to do anything for him, sit down with him and read the text, right? I said, I don't mind doing that, but uh, he has to be willing, right? Yeah, so that's, that's a, a problem that we have, right? So what is merit? I think uh, the text gets up this question of what is merit? How does merit work, right? Yeah, and at least we can think about it because these people are talking about merit, right? And if you go by the Marxist kind of analysis, merit comes only from the idea of capital, right? The first and the only kind of poverty is economic poverty, right? Yeah, and that's the, that's the basis of all the poverty according to what Marx is talking about, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, and that's exactly where Christianity comes in conflict with this idea of uh, 
some very liberated kind of Marxist, right? Because uh, what happens in Christianity, uh, Christ says the poor you'll always have with you and all those kind of things, right? And uh, many people go back to the Bible and say, go and look at the Beatitudes, right? In the, in the Bible, it says, blessed are the poor, right? Yeah, it's not poor in spirit, all those things are not there, right? Yeah, so they go back and they actually say, well, this is the real Bible, right? So the Bible is talking about the poor, right? What are you talking about, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, so that becomes a point of contention, right? Because the question is, where is the merit, right? And we are here because we've got coaching classes. We come from backgrounds where we have what you call music, right? We have art, we have painting, we have uh, science in our families, right? And that's why we are here, right? Okay. I, and I don't think, otherwise we are not here, okay? We can't come to college, we can't finish college, we can't uh, do a PhD, all those kind of things without actually having so much of cultural baggage with us, right? Yeah? So when we think that we are very meritorious and we've got so many marks, etc., etc., I think we have to think again, right? Yeah? Because what is all that, right? All that is that we know a certain way to write an answer, Right? and a certain way to get marks, right? Yeah? And that's how we are because of the training, because of the culture, because of the background we come from, right? Yeah? So uh, we might like to think about that again, right? And that's, of course, uh, with the caste system over here in India, the Marxists also get defeated, right? And I think that's a good thing because you can't, uh, the, in fact, there's this Italian, uh, uh, person called Gramsci, right, who's talking about the idea of, uh, the idea of uh, accomplishments, what is called accomplishments over here in the text, right, or what is called culture, right, yeah, so he's talking about why do people who are from, once upon a time, from a working class, who have come, become middle class or upper middle class or rich, right, why don't they have certain kinds of values, right? Why don't they value art and literature and music and all those kind of things, right? Yeah. So it's not only economic capital which gets you up, right? We're talking about cultural capital, right? And that's where uh, uh, this is a word from a sociologist called Pierre Bourdieu, right? So he's talking about linguistic capital and he's talking about cultural capital. And when we're talking about what's going on in the text, they're actually talking about a lot of cultural capital, right? They're talking about behavior, right? And how do you behave, right? And how do you behave with women, right? They're not actually talking about anything that is uh, what we talk about today, right? Like, uh, we means the so-called middle class of India and all of the world, we talk about what is a person doing, right? Yeah, what is the kind of occupation that they have, right? So all those kind of things are values for us today, right? Yeah, but for them, the idea is uh, the money, right? The money may not be talked about, but it's there in the background, right? The idea of looks, right? At least for women, I don't know about men, perhaps even for men, that might be slightly there because they're talking about marriage, right? And the idea of uh, accomplishments, the, math, the idea of culture and how do you treat people and how do you talk to them and are you sensitive and are you patient all those kind of virtues uh, are looked at right yeah and then what we have over here is and behaving properly even if you're jealous of somebody yeah uh, then you have to actually behave prim and proper and talk very politely and decently to people right and then you see uh, the idea of this polite hypocrisy right especially when uh, Emma talks to Frank, right? And then she says, no, 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 I don't think that she is sick or anything, but her complexion is very nice, right? And uh, all that kind of thing, right? So he's talking about uh, the idea of uh, Jane Fairfax, right? And uh, of course, there's a kind of jealousy about it, one. The second thing is, uh, because she is poor, that's the that's the... A weak spot that she has, right? She comes from a poor family, right? And a grandmother and an aunt 
don't have money. So that's where uh, Jane tries to hit, uh, Emma tries to hit uh, at the idea of Jane, right? Yeah. And uh, showing that she's good in music, all those kind of things, which is uh, got from the Campbells, right? Because the Campbells have looked after her like their own daughter, right? Uh, of course, the same thing is true about Frank Churchill, right? The Churchills have actually been responsible for him, right? So one of the interesting bits about the novel is that you have other people influencing people, right? Not the family itself, right? So you have uh, uh, Miss Taylor, who now is Mrs. Destin, who has influenced Jane, right? So that's one influencer, right? Then you have the influence of the Churchills on Frank, and that's what made him into the man he is, right? And then you have uh, the Campbells, Colonel Campbell and Mrs. Campbell and the family, right? And they've influenced uh, Jane Fairfax, right? Uh, more than anybody else, perhaps, right? Because and even for chapter for uh, what's his name? Uh, what's Frank Churchill, right? Uh, he's been taken as a little child, right? And has been brought up by the churches, right? And also bears their name, which uh, Jane Fairfax does, right? So, so that's quite interesting, yeah? And uh, yeah, in fact, in my NET at that point of time, uh, I was asked, uh, one of the questions that we were asked in, uh, is about the parent-child relationship in Shakespeare, right? The parent-child relationship in Shakespeare, right? So I analyzed some of the plays, right? I sat down and uh, put the plays together. And the curious thing is, in many of the plays, right, uh, there is there are no, no parents at all, right? Especially the comedies, yeah? And that's something interesting. And in the tragedies, you have uh, the, the parents, right? Yeah? Yeah, so uh, you might like to think about that again. And what happens when you have uh, parents uh, and you don't have parents, right? What happens to the idea of freedom when you don't have parents? Now, here the parents are foster parents, right? Which is something that is uh, talked about in Addison and uh, Joseph Addison, right? Uh, the Kabali the, the papers, right? This is a little before uh, uh, Jane Austen, right? And what you have over there is the idea of uh, making your son go to a friend's place and living with them so that you don't spoil your child, right? It's actually the son, right? It's not for the daughters, right? Yeah, because they didn't have this idea over there at all, right? That the daughters should be educated and all. And that's what's uh, an improvement over here that uh, uh, Harriet Smith has come to uh, Mrs. Goodall's to learn, right? And she's been put there and she's learning things and she's learning culture and etiquette and manners and all those kind of things, right? And she's already got some of it uh, with her, right? Yeah? So uh, that's like a finishing school, right? So uh, what you have is, you have this, which is an idea which is quite current, right? And uh, uh, you have Addison and Scale talking about, Addison talking about it actually. He saying that, well, uh, exchange children, right? So that you don't be too strict with them or too kind to them, right? And you get a balance. And if it's not your own child, you can get a better balance, right? So that's something uh, that many people also think about, especially when you talk about uh, sending uh, kids to boarding houses, right? Yeah, and uh, that's uh, something that is stressed upon because, first of all, the, the children are not there when the parents have fights, right? So that's, so the idea of home is a place where there are no fights, right? The tensions between the parents don't affect the children, right? Of course, the other thing is uh, people have to experience reality as it is, right? So that's one, right? And uh, uh, so that's again a common idea, right? So what happens over here is somebody is brought up by somebody else, right? And the question is how are they influenced? How are they brought up, right? Yeah, a very, very platonic idea, right? And Plato is talking about this in his own day, right? And talking against marriage in that sense, right? That you have these uh, 
people who are trained to bring up children right yeah so that's the kind of artificial way things are right and uh, even the the so called biological parents are also into artificial ways of bringing up the children right it's not that they are more natural right yeah they might spoil the children with their natural affection which animals don't do right yeah the animals uh, pull pull up their children and you you might see them and they're very very interesting to see it all that right whether they're cats and dogs and monkeys right yeah and you see some of them and when the when it comes for the time to leave them alone they leave them alone and go right yeah so the human beings are not like that right uh, so uh, they're quite different right but the idea is here in the novel you have frank churchill brought up by the churchills and not by his father mr weston right but at the same time you have the fact when he comes to this place uh, over here uh, whatever the name is uh, the heaven or whatever it is right uh, he goes and he wants to see the person who nursed him when he was a baby right now that's a very important kind of gratitude that he has right so maybe his mother died as a, uh, a young person and all that kind of thing right and he had to be brought up right and there he's brought up by a witness perhaps right yeah so he's going and looking out for her right so the question and you might like to look at that and gayatri spivak's sundayini right yeah uh, the translation uh, mashvita devi's sundayini and gayatri spivak's translation of that right because the question of uh, the gratitude that people ought to have which many people don't have right yeah and the uh, uh, the idea of course is that this is paid for right in strandaini when this woman gets uh, whatever her name is i'm sorry i forgot the name right when she gets breast cancer right because of all the over lactation and over production of children to lactate and to be a wet nurse right uh the people uh, who have actually been suckled by her right yeah and brought up and nursed by her witness right they are the ones who say well what's happened to you right yeah and spivak makes a mention these people might call themselves feminist in the united states etc right in the translation right yeah so you 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 have all those funny kinds of issues right because you say that you paid for it right and over here he actually is grateful and he's looking for this person who's nursed him right yeah and he's going to go and see her etc and uh you have emma and the father talking about them being you'll have to look for their house etc right uh, and they, you're talking about them living in uh, uh quarters that are not exactly the the great quarters that they are living in right and this question of living in a big house uh, etc comes up with the, the idea of mr elt right so uh, what do we think about all this right so this is a huge kind of uh there's a huge kind of uh uh premium pl uh, placed on class right there's a, a huge kind of premium also placed on upbringing there is a kind of premium placed on who is your father and who is your mother right yeah and there's uh, a a question of uh, politeness and behavior which is also important right yeah and of course you have what is interesting is uh, you have this idea of uh, emma getting close to mr churchill uh, mr frank churchill right yeah and uh, you might also find it very strange that uh that mrs weston right calls her husband mr weston right so that's very very formal right and mr uh, and even frank churchill calls it says mrs weston right yeah so that's really extremely formal right yeah so that's uh, of course uh, the english custom was to call uh, the father sir right so the father of the house you don't say daddy or papa or anything of the sort you say sir right yeah so that's that's very very proper kind of uh, at one point of time in the english culture right yeah so you might 
find all those things very funny today, right? And especially for India, right? Because, uh, yeah, we have our own fi funny ways of calling people, right? Like many women, uh, or many men also, right? They do not say, my wife, right? Or they don't call their wife by the name, right? They say, you know, her, her mother or his mother. They're talking about their own child, right? Their child's mother, right? And the same thing happens with the woman, right? Yeah, and it, that might be in some languages. I don't know if it's in all languages, but that's definitely true about Marathi, right? Yeah, and uh, the woman will say, well, uh, this, this child's father, right? They won't say, my husband, right? They won't call him by name, right? So that's, again, a problem, right? It's only about, it's only with the, uh, uh, the so-called Westoxicated Indians, right? Where you get people who call uh, their partners by their name, right? So that's, again, something that's interesting. The whole idea of uh, what is it to call people by their name and be on first name terms, right? Yeah, and now, of course, uh, the American thing and also the English thing is to call the father and the mother by their own name. Right? Yeah? So you call them by their own name and you don't call them mama and papa and all those kind of things. Right? Yeah? So that's some a, a different kind of cultural change which has taken place. Right? So when, how do you address people? Right? So uh, the very, very form, formal way of talking about it is when you talk about your husband, you'll say, well, uh, you see Mr. Joshi is, so a woman would say, well, you see Mr. Mr. Joshi is not feeling well today, right? And all that kind of thing, right? In front of him also, right? That's a very formal thing, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah, so you might have a husband also say that, you know, Mrs. Joshi is not well, uh, and so we can't have a party, right? Yeah, he won't talk about her in first name terms, right? Yeah, and that is something strange, but that was something that we've learned from the English, right? Yeah, because when we're talking English, we think we have to talk that way, right? So when you look at the manners and culture, right, all these things slowly change, right? In India also they will change uh, given some time, right? Yeah. Uh, the old tradition is you're not supposed to even take the name of your husband as if the husband is almost gone, right? Yeah. So that's the old kind of uh, un understanding, right? Yeah. And uh, the whole idea of Talking as equals perhaps was never there and perhaps is not there in many parts of India, right? Husband and wife talking as equals are questions, right? Here you already have that equality which you see, right? Yeah, though uh, you, you don't get equality as far as work is concerned, right? You don't get it, yeah, so the, the, the chances of getting married to somebody you like, right, is perhaps already there over here, right? Where it's still not there in India, right? Where the idea is going and finding your own match, okay? According to the way you like people, right? Yeah. If you so you have to make your own match, right? You have to come to know who you're getting married to, and you're responsible for that, right? So that's the kind of thing which is going on over here, and that's where the society has already happened, right? And that's not new for England. Uh, when you read Trevelyan, you'll find that this is what they're talking about when you're talking about the 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th century, right? Yeah, and that's in most parts of society, right? It's the upper class of society which have a little bit of a problem with that because they're interested in money and property, right? But what you all, uh, what you have with the lower classes is uh, that this idea of meeting, uh, getting to know people and uh, marrying uh, within all that is something that is important, right? Yeah. Um, now, uh, what we also have is uh, the idea of going to Crown Inn, right, and looking at the ballroom, right, and then talking about what exactly is going on over here. You're going back to the place where you're supposed to be from, right, yeah, and you've never been there, right, and Frank Churchill comes in with all these kind of uh, ideas about going home. Right? Yeah. So when you go back to your native place and that's home for you, as you say, right? Then what happens is you go to the the, the church in the village. That's what he's doing. You go to the uh, the idea of the the uh, the crown inn, right? And they have a huge ballroom because ballroom dancing is something that is 
uh, part of the culture, right? Of course, today, I don't know if that's there because the pop culture is uh, what is more, uh, what uh, more people go for, right? I don't really know about England and the ballroom dancing kind of culture, right? Because all that changes in 1960, right? The idea of the jazz age, the pop age, uh, the pop culture, all that comes in in 1960, right? And the idea of disco music and uh, disco dancing, uh, all those kind of things take over, right? So perhaps in the pubs also, you get people uh, uh, and uh, you don't need too much space. And of course, the pubs in England are not crowded, right? They're not definitely not crowded like they are here, right? Yeah, so you have place and uh, in some places you might also have a piano, right? And somebody might be playing the piano and, and saxophone and all those kind of things, right? That's in the pub, right? But when we're talking about the hall, and that's one of the things that he's talking about, the crown in, right? And you're talking about this idea of maintaining the hall, right? Uh, so that's something that he thinks that Jane can do, right? Yeah, uh, not Jane, what's her name? Emma can do, right? Yeah. And uh, so that's that's something that you find interesting, right? That here you have the hall decay, right? The hall actually was meant for this purpose, but is not being kept up, right? And that's something that Frank Churchill finds, and he asks Emma, "Why don't you take uh, initiative and do something about it, right?" Yeah. So uh, because uh, we have to use the hall and we have to use the ballroom, etc., right? Uh, yeah, uh, that's one. Yeah, and then of course there is this whole idea of the social and the cultural, which comes up again, right? And uh, what happens when Frank Churchill and Emma is very curious, right? Here we have the expression in English which says, "Curiosity kill the cat," right? Yeah, because cats are very curious creatures, right? I have this cat with me. Is a lockdown cat is suddenly come out of nowhere, right? And she's very interested in all sorts of things, right? And you wonder if the expression is not true, right? Yeah. But Emma is curious to know about what happened at the Bates's, right? And she also wants, uh, she wants uh, Churchill, Churchill, right? Yeah. That look, be careful. The aunt might talk too much, right? And the aunt likes to monopolize the conversation, right? So the idea is when you're talking about manners and conversation, right? And that's what people do. Sorry for saying this. I don't mean to insult anybody, right? But uh, there are many people who, who uh, use this as a tool to insult all the people who come in for English literature, right? Yeah. And say, why do we learn English literature? Because we have to learn culture. Right? Yeah. Or why do people come? Uh, so we are talking about learning culture, etc. Right? Yeah. So one of the things that we have to learn from this is don't monopolize a conversation. Right? One person talking and getting center stage and all the spotlight on them at a party or a casual social meeting is supposed to be not okay. Right? Yeah. And that's exactly what Jane is very subtly telling. Uh, Frank Churchill, right? The, they don't really, they're not so cultured at all because you'll find that the aunt is manipulating, uh, sorry, monopolizing the whole kind of uh, conversation. And once you let her talk, she'll go on and on and on and she won't give you a chance to talk, right? Yeah, so that's something else. And they also talk about this idea of uh, Jane Fairfax being reserved, right? Actually, this is gossip, right? And it's interesting to see how gossip works, right? Okay, gossip can be very dangerous, right? And uh, gossip is also very productive, very powerful and productive, right? So when we talk about gossip, the opinions about people are built on gossip, right? Or, and we, we as readers also uh, suffer from this kind of influence of gossip, right? We hear about Frank Churchill, and then when you see Frank Churchill, you get a different kind of view, and you think about him differently, right? Yeah. So uh, the idea is, how do you build up character, right? And when we talk, when we are actually looking at uh, literature, right, that is 
because we are interested in gossip, we've taken literature, right? We're looking at other people's life, right? Yeah, okay, uh, I have to stop here, right? Okay, finally, right? Yeah, so the idea is how does gossip work? I have to make one or two points uh, about what we're talking about and then I'll stop. I hope that's okay, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, we are talking about the idea of reserve because that's exactly what they talk about. Uh, this woman called Jane Fairfax, right? She is very reserved. She won't say more than she should say. She's very polite, etc. But I can't really get to know her because she won't open her mouth, right? Yeah. Now, that's something that's also valued and something that's very priced in England and English society. The idea of not saying too much, right? And not showing yourself and being this typical kind of American that you have and say, oh, you know, I like this and I like that, right? The English will be very reserved and they'll be very careful about showing themselves and talking too much about themselves and making a big whack about themselves, right? Yeah, yeah which you'll get in Americans, right? So, uh, and then, of course, the, the discourse is about Jane's reserve, right? Why is she so reserved, right? And at one level, being reserved is looked at as kind of upper class uh, kind of way of saying, well, I don't really want, that's when you read Lawrence, you'll find that with Lawrence, right? Yeah, the idea of who's an aristocrat and uh, these are aristocrats because they don't want to mix with the common people, right? That's his criticism of Harvey, right? So you may, might like to read it, right? So the idea is the idea of being reserved and that gives you a kind of sophistication because you don't talk too much and you smile at people and you're very polite, etc. Right? Yeah, so that's uh, something to do with manners. So one is monopolizing conversations. And when Emma is attacking Miss Bates, right? She's saying, well, they're not really so cultured, right? Yeah, one is to attack them economically. The other is to say the family is not cultured, right? Yeah, and there's some kind of lurking suspicion that she's got a crush. It may not be true, right? But at this point in the novel, it looks as if she's got a crush on Frank Churchill, even with the remarks that she made at Randall's on the pre-Christmas dinner that they had, right? Yeah, and I think with that, I'll stop. I'm sorry, I've overshot, but you'll get your, uh, you'll get your assignment by today, right? Uh, by tonight, and uh, you'll get uh, 10 days.